Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, I am very happy to be joined by the artist John Fellows and New Image Brewing founder and head brewer Brandon Caps to talk about our Blister Artist series. And the backstory here is that we commissioned John Fellows to create an original piece of artwork to kick off this Blister Artist series. And you can now purchase our first ever Blister Artist series t-shirt with John's original artwork. We'll include a link to that product page in the show notes of this episode. But that's not all, folks, because as I was telling Brandon Caps about this artist series, Brandon said to me, why don't we make an accompanying beer for the Blister Artist series? And that has been done. So in this conversation, we talk with John Fellows about the inspiration for this particular piece of art, his process in creating it, and then you're going to get to hear how Brandon went about seeing the art and thinking about the kind of beer that he wanted to brew to accompany John's particular artwork. So yeah, this episode of Crafted, we are talking about art and gear in the form of a t-shirt and beer. So enjoy this conversation, pick up a t-shirt for you or some of the significant people in your life. And if you are fortunate enough to get to one of New Image Brewing's tap rooms in Arvada or Wheat Ridge, you can find the beer there or in certain major liquor stores in Colorado. And the beer is delicious. You should definitely try to hunt this down. It's also some of my favorite artwork that I've ever seen on a can. So there's that. Okay, now enjoy the conversation. All right, well, I am very happy to be talking with John Fellows and Brandon Caps, gentlemen, thanks for joining us and thanks for walking us through this multifaceted blister artist series thing that we've been working on together. So I think what I want to do is start by talking and hearing from John about your process and thinking when I first came to you and was like, I want to do this artist series you started turning over some ideas. Talk a little bit about that process, and then I want to get into about the like actual creation of the work. Um, okay. Yeah, when we first started talking about an artist collab, like I was pretty excited about it because that's always fun to do with companies that you that you like and you have the same kind of aesthetic with. So then it was just thinking about, you know, what what would I like, <laughs> you know, as a design, but then also some what would um kind of really cash eye of the general public as well. You know, it can't just be all about me. I kind of, you will have to think about, you know, the members of blister and the people that are going to be looking at that shirt, you know, before we even talked about like the possible beer collab side of things too. So I was just very focused on like uh, the blister members or, you know, like the general public, like skiers and stuff. And I think, and at the time uh, I was listening to, there's um an old band called egg hunt. So I don't know. It's um Ian McKay from Minor Threat. It's one of his many side projects. And he has a song called uh, We All Fall Down. 
And then uh, there's a line in it called In Search of the Quiet Life. And that's kind of uh, what kind of directed like my idea. And so I was just kind of, because everybody loves, you know, just being in the wintertime, if you're just out in the woods, whether you're skiing, hiking, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, it can just be so quiet in the backcountry that it's just a nice time to reflect on things and you're just kind of in the moment. And that kind of just really filtered into my idea. And so, uh, yeah, I started working on some sketches and it's a solitary person skiing and it's kind of, you know, the, the colors we ended up with, it's kind of like nighttime because he's, he's skiing and then there's this hut like way in the distance that he's trying to get to, but there's a smoke coming out of the chimney, you know, so there's somebody there and he's just ready to get to the warmth and coziness of the hut. And so once we, um, you know, figured out the design, basically all my work is done by hand. So it's all hand carved. It's linoleum block printing. And so I'll draw the illustration onto the block, carve it all by hand, and then print it by hand as well. And I don't use a, a press or anything. I just use a wooden spoon that I buy at the thrift store. It's just a, um, <laughs> I'm a champion of uh, convincing people they can just, you know, printmaking is something that they can do as well. They don't need insanely expensive stuff. They can do it on their dining room table or kitchen table or something. And so I still always use like kind of, you know, cheap rudimentary things, but it still produces like high quality stuff. You're kind of hand carving the stuff and the image instead of it's drawing or you're just drawing lines you're actually removing lines so you, to get a single line you have to carve away on either side of what you want to stay so it's, it's kind of really hard to describe without visuals and that, i mean that's just the way i carve it everybody carves a little differently but then once you get to the end you can do a test print so you just roll ink on it i put a piece of you know newsprint on there something that takes the ink really well and then I put the newsprint down on the inked block and then rub the back of it with the wooden spoon. And that transfers the ink and the image to the paper. And so then you pull that, that back and you can see it becomes the exact you know, reverse as you're pulling it off the block. It's pretty cool. And then you can see like what you need to still take away or um, adjust or anything. And I think it came out pretty good. I was pretty happy with it. You know, it makes me want to like, oh, let's make a poster. You know, I want to stop you there and ask Brandon first just what you think of John's description of the art that we ended up with. Yeah. Well, um, I think first and foremost, when I saw it um, initially, both as a a rough sketch and then um, as a final art, um, it just resonated with me because it's like a moment. It captured a moment that I've had a lot. Like I've done a good amount of backcountry touring solo. Um, honestly, maybe as much as I've gone with other people. Um, and usually I'm in a zone that I know really well and a place that I can just kind of, you know, relax in so far as you're able to relax in the backcountry. Um, but specifically it actually made me think of this zone out near, uh, Mount Arkansas, the drainage of Mount Arkansas. And, um, just that exact moment you described, John, where it's it's just so quiet. Like the especially if there's snow in the air at the same time and the wind is low and you know it's so sound absorbing, it's like an outdoor anechoic chamber. But rather than being uh claustrophobic, it's the complete opposite. And definitely the image just resonated personally with me, uh, because that's a a moment that I seek on a regular basis, kind of one of the few places on earth that I feel sane and okay for a short, brief period of time. So yeah, that was, those are, that, those are my thoughts and feelings uh, looking at the piece. One of the things when 
some people on our blister team started first seeing the artwork it was really interesting because some people mentioned the sun in the background and i was like i'm not sure that's the sun and it's been fun internally to talk about the image and see what was kind of standing out to different people what seemed obvious to them and maybe what was less obvious and um I am thrilled with how it's turned out. I I think the original is great. I really like the t-shirt and I think it looks fantastic on the new image cans, um, which we'll talk more about the beer in a minute. But this is uh, for our first blister artist series. um, I'm (laughs) I'm quite happy with with how this is all gone because this was very much a a new venture and experiment. But it's it's funny you mentioned the... uh the sun slash moon because in a lot of my work if i'm representing the daytime in some of my work i have a big black sun in my daytime work so this sun now and this it could either be the sun it can be the moon you know i'm a big fan of like monot like duotone like monotone colors so that's why i really liked like a dark blue and a light blue so it could be and it can be red as either it can be red as like nighttime you know, evening or even daytime. I think it's kind of, it is open to interpretation because I do get asked all the time about why do I have giant black suns? (laughs) Well, you haven't exactly answered that question right now. So do we get to hear the answer? Of what time of day is it? Of why you have giant black suns. I think it's just the, uh, the graphic designer in me just really likes, and that's why I'm drawn to like black printing because it's very, my work is very like black and white, very like thick lines. And so big black sun just adds this really graphic quality to it instead of just trying to like make it yellow because then the, your eyes going to only look at that, you know, or, and I don't like using too much color in my work. So I think just putting a big black, you know, like a black sun or white in its nighttime, it just keeps with the graphic quality of the work and doesn't go like too like painterly or too like, full on represent because my work isn't very representational. It's not, you know, I'm not portraying like a beautiful, perfect landscape, you know, like how painters can. So it's a very stylized work. So I think like black suns and stuff just kind of work with it a lot better than trying to really represent what the sun would look like. If that makes sense. So Brandon, I tell you about this blister artist series and that's when you're like, well, that sounds really, really cool. What if we had a beer that would be sort of part of this series? But I'll give this to you now, how you were thinking about this particular project. Say more about it. Well, we were just on a call discussing something else at the time, and you mentioned it. It brought up you know, what it was that you were planning on working on and uh, the nature of the artist series. And it kind of struck a chord with me uh, because we, and you know, we do a lot of new beers and we have a full-time graphic designer on staff. And we've been throwing around this idea for a while of like reversing the relationship between beer and art, um, starting with the art and then making the beer uh, rather than the other way around. Because typically it's, you know, I come up with a beer concept or idea come up with a name for it, a brand, uh, and build a design around that. So, um, as you know, somebody who seeks creative 
inspiration um, from a lot of different sources, I thought it'd be fun to change up the source of inspiration and try to go from graphic art back to liquid. Uh, so that was sort of where I saw an opportunity from a creative standpoint, as well as, you know, familiar with John's work and seen it on uh, some other beers, but also just some other merch and um, some of the pieces. And I thought like, I mean, that'll look sick on a can. So yeah, so that, that was more or less how that, that came together in my head. So talk about that process then. You see the art, describe to people how the wheels are turning in your particular mind about where to take this. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny, John, you were saying a minute ago about how when you're creating something, it's not exclusively about, you know, you and where you want something to go. Like you have to take into account who it is that the recipient of the thing you're creating is um, and consider their needs as well. So that that was also sort of in the back of my mind is like, you know, as a starting direction of, of major influence, like what's a type of beer that uh, is going to, you know, pair well with the audience for this particular art piece. And given that we're obviously uh, talking about a skier's market, um, figured probably lager or IPA would be the major direction to go. I was feeling like going with an IPA uh, in part because of some of the other uh, ways that the inspiration was leading me. And so there were kind of two key things that I tapped into in terms of looking at the art uh, that I wanted to capture with uh, how I formulated the beer recipe. And that was the the feeling of solitude um, and maybe the importance of solitude, um, as well as the kind of magnitude, which, you know, staring out, especially at Colorado's mountains, when you're up in the high Alpine, it really does give you that feeling of just being so small. And, uh, so those were like the two kind of feelings that I think really stood out to me looking at the piece. And so then to try to incorporate that into beer, the approach that I took was with it being an IPA and it being a hop forward beer, I chose to focus on a single hop um, Citra. It's one of the ones we use the absolute most of. I fly out to Yakima, Washington every year and select it um, so that we have you know exactly what we want for the next year. So it's a it's a hop that we have a very strong relationship with and um, that I personally. Uh, really look forward to the experience of getting to select it each year. So to to isolate that one, um, I thought was a good piece of the puzzle to kind of correlate to the importance of those times that you spend alone. And then to sort of echo the magnitude, uh, sort of looking at the the mountains in the background and just that that feeling of being around something immense. I felt that it'd be good to give the beer just a bit of a stronger backbone. So a little bit more aggressive hop additions, um, bit higher initial strength. I didn't want to send it straight to the moon um, because I still want it to be something you can like, you know, have on the beach at a Bay or wherever and like hang out and not just totally end your day. But uh, yeah, so kind of splitting the difference between, you know, let's make this a little bit, a little bit more punchy than our, you know, average everyday IPA in terms of hop load, 
and in terms of ABV, but without making something that's going to end your day after the first beer. So, though it might end it after the second, <laughs> depending on your tolerance. Um, I'm actually just Googling right now whether there is a beer out there called Straight to the Moon. There's got to be. But if there isn't, can we make that one at some point? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> Straight to the moon. I like that. Um, we might have our another collab here. Can I ask a couple of just rookie questions here, Brandon, as I like to do? You called this an IPA, but the can calls this a double IPA. Do we have a strict and standard definition for the difference here? Is there a loose categorization or here or strict? Um, there's somewhat of a strict uh, categorization, but... Somewhat with... strict. That's not a thing. It's strict or it's not strict. There's no, thing as, there's no such thing as somewhat strict. If the area gets gray right around the thresholds of things. So with it, like a pale ale versus an IPA versus a double IPA, versus if you really want to get into it, a barley wine is really a a matter of ABV from a technical perspective, more so than anything else. Um especially with those those first three pale ale IPA, um, double IPA. You could brew the same exact recipe and just change the amount of malt um and ABV to dance between those three styles from a technical basis. Now where certain people want to cut off an IPA versus a double IPA or a pale ale versus an IPA. That's where the gray area kind of comes in. I think most people would say that like under 6% is a pale ale and over 8% is a double IPA. Um, but I've seen people label seven and a half percent alcohol beers as a double IPA. Whereas we have multiple beers in our portfolio that are seven and a half to 7.8 that we label as a IPA. So our personal cutoff under six pale ale over, um, over eight double IPA. Um, and that's pretty, you're going to generally find that it's within that for most people. Um, so yeah, but in terms of like the structural differences, it's like you're building a building. It's just a matter of height. Um, so in terms of the vernacular that I'm using to describe it, like it landed as a double IPA, but if I'm talking about building a hoppy beer, um, what be it a pale ale IPA or double IPA, the approach is all pretty much the same until I'm just sitting there at the end dialing in how much alcohol is going to be created based on the amount of base malt we're using. And then is that the same thing to continue this with barley wine? Barley wine, we now built a skyscraper? Yeah, kind of. Um, so... Yeah, barley wine is specifically American barley wine, just kind of like the the furthest escalation of American style hoppy beer. It it's interesting because that one also crosses blurs the lines a bit. It gets thrown into like the malty category a lot, which is fair because there's sort of two major subtypes, English and American. The English barley wine is a very malt driven beer with very little hop character. The American barley wine is still a very malt-driven beer be- simply because of how much is in there in order to get the ABV to where it needs to be. But they're generally also very hoppy. Um, so I wouldn't say that it scales as linearly 
uh, for me personally, if I was going to make a barley wine, I probably wouldn't start with an IPA recipe, but I tend to make more English style barley wines. Uh, that said, you can find examples out there like Stone Old Guardian, which is like kind of a classic example of an American barley wine, or I think even Bigfoot from Sierra Nevada would fall under that category of it's probably a little bit more sweet malt characteristics in there, but for the most part, it's a giant IPA. <laughs> All right. Time for the hard questions. John Fellows, you've had a chance to try the beer. What do you think? Uh, I was really happy with it. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, because I got to go to the uh, Wheat Ridge Tap Room and actually have one right there. And I was, yeah, I was pretty happy because I'd never had a new image before. And like Jonathan's been talking it up because I think, because um, I used to live in Denver for a long time and uh, somehow never made it to the Arvada Tap Room. And I think the Wheat Ridge one hadn't opened yet. And so getting to go in there and just seeing like, you guys have already had this community there. There's tons of people there. Like, um, I think it was Ian was the manager working there and he was a great guy. And he was just like, he's like, Oh, you've never had a beer. He's like, let me try a few. And then gave me one of the, uh, the collab beers. And like, I'm a big fan of those type of beers. And so for me, it was like exactly what I was hoping kind of it would be because I think winter time, especially with the label being kind of darker, and if you do think about night, it's like the beer's a little heavier. Like I want to drink that at like the end of the day, like have that, pull that out of your pack, like at a cabin somewhere and enjoy it. Not, you know, like in the sun at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon when you still have more skiing to do. It's more like, I'm going to really, I'm going to pour this into a glass and really enjoy it. And that's what I've done since I've gotten a case of that. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun, two fun anecdotes. <laughs> One, I just, I just remembered that my first time actually having the beer, it was hand delivered by John Fellows. <laughs> so that was my my delivery guy was the artist. And uh, because from that Wheat Ridge trip, he brought some back. And so then I got to try it. So that's kind of fun. But the other fun part of this story, I got this text from John and he's like, dude, I'm in the Wheat Ridge New Image Wheat Ridge Tap Room, and you know, trying their beers, and it's freaking great. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah, John. There's a reason why we work with New Image." And then I was like, "By the way, I'm in Italy currently drinking Prosecco, and I I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure that he responded with an expletive, and um, that was that anecdote. So those are my. I mean, to be fair, your text was pretty <laughs> short, so I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> It was like, stop bothering me. I'm in Italy. Fend for yourself back in Denver. One more thing I want to say here. I actually talked about this at the end of a Gear 30 podcast. And Brandon, I don't know if you're going to push back on this, but I was taking credit for the name of the beer. Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you generated that. I mean, we were texting back and forth and uh, we had some we had some interesting ones floating around there for a second. <laughs> no. Nope. No, we did not. We had some, <laughs> in my humble opinion, we had some ones that shouldn't have been the name of the beer. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely happy with what we settled on. And it, at, I, I talked about this beer and the name Ambulation uh, in a what we're celebrating segment. And at that time, I just said people can look it up. But ambu the, the, the idea of Ambulation um, or something that is ambulatory 
This is an important word for Thoreau, like my guy Thoreau. And seeing that scene and when you'd ask me about names, that is where my head kind of went. And I was very happy that Brandon liked that. And and now I actually really like that name of the beer. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I had to look it up after you texted it to me initially. I didn't know that it had that background, but that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, I think that's for a lot of us who have been in the moment that's depicted here. Uh, there's a lot to be grateful for in our ability to just move um, and to to be out and experiencing these places. So certainly something not to be taken for granted. Well, before we wrap this, I should ask, do one of you have a question for the other here? Yeah. Um, so, John, I'm just curious how you got into uh, linoleum. Um, it's an interesting medium for sure. I think it's – I got into linoleum because uh, – one, it was a reaction against having to use the computer all the time in college. It's like we were forced to like from our freshman year do everything on the computer for graphic design. And um, as being somebody that liked to draw, I kind of really hated that. And then also when I draw or when I used to draw, I'm like a control freak. So it looks if you see me holding a pencil or a pen, it looks like I'm choking the life out of it because I'm just holding it so tight and like all the way down at the base. <laughs> like, And then I'd get mad if what I was drawing didn't look exactly like what I was looking at. And so the whole thing of block printing has actually really freed me from that because no matter what I draw, the finished carving is going to look different. And I've, and I've come to really like embrace the imperfections of it and the style, like the stylized nature of it. That's cool. That's uh, very emulative of the whole Wabi Sabi uh, concept in art. Say so that, yeah, that I don't even know about. I'm very uneducated in the, a lot of, in a lot of art actually. Wabi Sabi. Yeah. Um, the origins Japanese, the, the concept is the, the beauty of oh, imperfection. Yeah. So it's, um, the imperfections that are rendered in art that's handmade. And, um, there's a specific cultural value for that. And that cultural value for it is, um, denoted as Wabi Sabi. This is one that resonated with me very early on. Like I think I had a, screen name on a professional brewing blog at one point called Wabi Sabi Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely something I embrace because I could show a lot of my work and it's like I can point out those little mistakes I'm okay with after the fact. Sometimes I freak out. <laughs> it's like I'm swearing. and But then after the facts, it's like, yeah, I think it enhances the piece because if you want something perfect, yeah, it can be just done on the computer. And then sometimes it's things that people won't even notice it'll just be me like seeing this one little cut well i think any creator of anything has to reckon with that right um i i mean we uh, we talk a lot around here about like excellence is what we're aiming for we certainly like never hit perfection so brandon thank you i'm gonna have to dive into this wabi-sabi concept and, and check that out because I still very much like the pursuit of excellence and that idea of like, try your hardest, drop dead at the end, you know, and need to recover and have spent everything. The end result is not going to be perfection, but hopefully it's something pretty great. And trying to reconcile that, pursue excellence, but be okay with not 
nailing perfection is actually something that I think about all the time. So I will be very curious to go down this new rabbit hole that you've uh, presented. There's a, tell you what, there, there's several uh, really interesting rabbit holes in um, Japanese art culture. And I'll, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I'll text it to you later. But there's a type of art where the way it's created is they take broken ceramic pieces, so bowls, um, mugs, things of that nature, and then they reassemble them with a like resin that has so, gold in it. Brandon, so this one I know, and I know well. Okay. This is Kintsugi. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's I learned about it because that's... Uh, and, uh, death cab for cutie album that i'm quite fond of <laughs> um and uh looked up the definition and i was just like yeah i was thinking about that word for like a whole trail run for the next couple of days <laughs> yeah the good one wasabi and kintsugi i did not see us getting into that in this particular conversation but that's what makes conversation so fun um yeah hey listen i do want to let you guys get going here um but this has been a really cool project for me personally. And I mean, you guys are both good friends and I love your work respectively. And so to bring all of this around together uh, has been, well, not without work, uh, to be honest, but quite rewarding. And so I appreciate you guys working on this with me. Before I let you go then, John, Tell people where they should go to check out more of your work. Best place? The best place to check out more of my work, um, I guess the easiest would be online, either Instagram. And uh, my handle is just at jfellows56. It's a really creative handle. It's the, uh, my first email address I was ever issued back in college. <laughs> it's, for some reason, it just stuck with me. Or I have like a big cartel website, which is just johnfellows.bigcartel.com. Or if you're actually in Crested Butte, you can swing by my studio, which is um, in downtown. It's at 418 Bellevue Ave. Um, so it's always good to kind of see things in person. Just come by and say hi. Very cool spot. Very cool spot. Um, and we should say too, you can also go listen to the Crafted podcast conversation that we did with John. If you want to know more about his own backstory and approach to art, and turns out you can also listen to a crafted podcast conversation with Brandon Caps. Episode number one, we kicked this whole thing off with Brandon. Um, and so that was a really fun conversation for me. But Brandon, now tell people where they should go to try to get their hands on this Blister Artist Series Ambulation beer. Totally. Um, we have it at both of our tap rooms, one in Old Town, Arvada, one in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Um, and we just started sending this beer out to distribution uh, maybe a week or so ago. So it should be in most of the kind of major liquor stores in the Colorado uh, metro, like Denver metro area, Fort Collins, Boulder, um, Springs. Anyone who's got a solid craft selection probably carrying this beer. Um, if they aren't, you should harass them um, <laughs> until they do. Uh, and then there's going to be some limited distribution in the mountains as well. Yeah. Just keep your eyes peeled for some good art on a blue can. and uh, Some distribution to Crested Butte. Find your way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it should should be in Crested Butte as well. 
Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I'd say people could come by for a beer at Blister HQ, but this is not going to last. Uh, (laughs) So apologies to everyone listening. Um, But I don't know, maybe we'll figure something out here. But uh, yeah, our, our team, our team is taking care of this one. So yeah, yeah, I'm heading back down into Denver on Friday, so I'm hoping I have like time to like swing through the brewery again. <laughs> Maybe restock and <laughs> all the beer is going to have been drunk by the Blister team and John Fellows. So hurry up, hurry up, people. If you if you want to try this beer, don't let us drink all of it before you get a chance. Well, hey, you two, um, I'll let you get back to it. Thanks so much again. And this certainly is not going to be our last conversation. And so I look forward to seeing you both soon. Look forward to skiing with you both soon. And uh, yeah, uh, keep doing what you're doing and good luck with all of it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun working with both of you. Awesome. All right, guys, take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to John and Brandon for the conversation, as well as for their hard work on this project. I want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from our entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. We will talk to you again real soon.